0: That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of the warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host of this podcast, and I do it because I was one mile from the nuclear reactor at Three Mile Island when the accident happened there in 1979. Today's interview is going to be on radiation monitoring devices and how to use them to protect the health of yourselves and your loved ones. Today is Tuesday, June 19, 2012, one year and 100 days since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11 of 2011, and here is the week's nuclear news. On Monday, June 18th. Friends of the Earth filed a legal petition to require the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission to keep the crippled reactors at the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station shut down until and unless their operator, Southern California Edison, obtains a license amendment. Investigations commissioned by Friends of the Earth have revealed that the new steam generators, which have only operated for 11 and 22 months respectively, are defective. The petition contends that Edison misled the NRC about the steam generator's design, which allowed the utility to run the reactors with fundamentally flawed technology, endangering the 8 million Californians who live within 50 miles of the plant. The petition states that Edison deliberately mischaracterized the new technology as like-for-like replacement, thereby avoiding NRC or public review of the altered design. A series of technical reports produced by nuclear engineer Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Associates and that was commissioned by Friends of the Earth have revealed that the design changes made by Edison raised 39 different safety issues any one of which should have triggered a license amendment review under NRC regulations. In Oregon, the first pieces of tsunami debris washed on shore and the first one was a giant, a complete dock It was part of the debris from last year's tsunami and is at the front running edge of the debris field, which is approximately 100 square miles and heading for the west coast of North America. This particular piece originated in Misawa, a northern Japanese city. It was 66 feet long, 7 feet tall, and 19 feet wide, and first made landfall on June 2nd or 3rd before it could be tested for radiation by citizens. However, it was dismantled and burned by the officials. I'm going to refer to this next piece as the Gunderson Report because it's a couple of different facts for you to be aware of from uh, Arnie Gunderson from Fairwind's Associates. And um, my thanks to ENE News for the prep work that they did on this. First, as regards the finding of radioactivity in bluefin tuna off the California coast, he said It's a pretty good bet that the bluefin tuna in all the Pacific are all contaminated. I think contamination is going to increase over time before it has a chance to go down. On West Coast radiation contamination, Gunderson said, especially for the West Coast, you need to be careful about what's on your feet. Eighty percent of the dirt that gets in your house comes in on your shoes. Dry dusting makes it worse. Wet dusting is really recommended. This is in case there is radiation in the dust and in the dirt. He goes on to say, being really careful about house cleanliness, especially on the West Coast. To me, that would be a no-brainer for anybody in the Cascades or anybody in these areas where hot particles fell out as a result of a thunderstorm. Other than that, we can't run and we can't hide. It's everywhere. He also said that on the U.S. west coast, we should have been taking iodine pills to protect us from Fukushima radiation after three eleven in 2011. Now, going to Japan, which is where the majority of the news has been coming from in the past week or so, we can really see by the sequence of events that the fix is in when it comes to nuclear, but I'll play this out for you. There were 4,000 protesting against the restart of the UI nuclear plant, uh, in front of the Fukui prefectural government building. Uh, this is where the nuclear plant is located. It's a huge number for a small town like Fukui, and this took place before the restart. Also, before anything was announced, Fukushima women spoke directly to officials on uh, the 7th of June. About 70 women were protesting, including 10 women from Fukushima, and they did a die-in in front of the prime minister's official residence to protest against the restart of the oe nuclear power plant before the die-in ten fukushima women visited the cabinet office and met with officials there is a video that has been posted on youtube it will be posted on nuclear hot seat it is deeply moving showing the women with subtitles so that we can understand in english speaking directly from their experience in Fukushima to an official who clearly had absolutely no power to do anything. And, of course, on the next day, the reactors were cleared for restart. Permission was given by the Prime Minister of Japan, Yoshihiko Noda. These are the first two of Japan's idled fleet of nuclear power reactors to be restarted since Fukushima happened. Uh, once a year, the nuclear reactors in Japan must by law be shut down for re-examination. And as of May 5th, there has been no operating nuclear plant in Japan. There's tremendous passion and power within the country to keep them shut down, but all of that is being ignored. The end of the nuclear freeze is signifying a huge voter backlash for Prime Minister Noda, as it should be. Uh, a Minichi News poll showed that more than 70% of the population opposes restarting these reactors. Robert Dejaric, who is director of the Institute for Contemporary Asian Studies at Temple University's Tokyo campus, said that NODA could end up like all his predecessors in the dustbin of history very quickly. NODA was under intense political pressure from the banks and the utilities who want those nuclear reactors restarted. They want to get those income streams back in operation. The reactors are being restarted, or they're scheduled to restart by the end of July. Meanwhile, in Japan, there were more than 11,000 demonstrators in front of the Prime Minister's official residence in Tokyo, an event that has been ignored by media around the world, and especially mainstream media here in the United States. We do have some demonstrations coming up that are going to hopefully Get this into the mainstream media's eye, and I'll tell you about that at the end of the podcast. Meanwhile, the pushing down of the ability to protest and get in the way of the restart of nuclear reactors has taken another step up in Tokyo because the Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly voted down proposed nuclear reactor restart referendum bills. A citizens group demanded that the Tokyo Metropolitan Government hold referendums on the restart of idle nuclear reactors and this referendum, this appeal for a referendum went down to a narrow defeat in committee on June 18th. That was yesterday. If passed, the bills would have required the Assembly and the Metropolitan Government to make efforts to implement policy reflecting the results of local referendums on the restart of reactors run by Tokyo Electric Power Company, which, of course, was in charge of the reactors at Fukushima. A similar bill was rejected by the Osaka Municipal Assembly in February. This current petition was put down despite the fact that it collected over 323 thousand signatures well above the two hundred ten thousand that were necessary so guys the fix is in uh... the powers that be want these nuke plants restarted they're putting pressure on the government to do so and the only thing we have is our voices and our bodies to protest with and there will be more about that later in the podcast but when it comes to all things nuclear the bad guy is radiation You can't see it, smell it, taste it, feel it, hear it, invisible. It accumulates in your body. There is no such thing as an insignificant dose. But unless you get a massive dose all at once, it's not likely that you'll be able to connect your health problems, the ones that you develop over the years, with the source of those problems, meaning the exposure to radiation. This is what allows the people in charge of the nuclear industry to get away with what might ultimately turn out to be genocide against our species. Be that as it may, we can protect ourselves and our loved ones, and one of the ways is by monitoring the radiation levels around us so we know when it's safe and when we really should duck and cover. I'm very happy today to have three people on Nuclear Hot seat who know a whole lot more about this than I do. Dr. Bill Cardoso is an electrical and computer engineer with over 15 years driving revolutionary breakthroughs in high-tech industry for worldwide private, governmental, medical, aerospace, and research institutions. He spent 10 years at Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory, an internationally renowned Department of Energy lab, and the world leader in nuclear particle physics research. This guy's got heavy creds. There he led engineers and scientists in the design and development of radiation detector systems to find the structure of matter and ultimately the origins of the universe. We'll step away from the infinite and just talk with him today about radiation devices and how we can protect ourselves. Bill, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Also on the call today is Darren McClure. Darren works as an activist on the citizen-run radiation monitoring system around San Onofre. He's a social media expert who likes to tell people that he motivates the motivators, instigates the instigators, and helps the deciders decide. Darren, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat.
2: Why, thank you very much.
0: So let's start out. Why is it crucial to have a radiation monitor network around a nuclear power plant?
2: I think um, what is not measured is not managed. When the closest radiation monitor we have is in Anaheim, which is 50 miles away, that's not really giving us um, up-to-date information. It's kind of removed from the source, as it were.
0: And we're talking about San Onofre right now in Southern California. Okay, so there's only one monitoring station for radiation that is made public that's within the 50-mile radius from, uh, from San Onofre? That is correct. The other thing I was going to add about
2: uh,
1: having this network of radiation monitors, including a nuclear power plant, is uh, to provide uh, the public with an early warning system uh, so that, um, you know, to give real-time information on what's going on and, uh, you know, to allow you to make decisions um, as uh, an event might develop.
0: Is there currently a system like this in place around any nuclear reactor that you know about?
1: There is, a, here in Southern California, uh, there is a local um, uh, individuals and volunteers uh, who are uh, setting up uh, a network of uh, radiation monitors. And, um, you know, leading this effort is uh, Darren and also ACE. So I'll let you guys uh, go with it.
0: What is the nature of the radiation monitoring network that has been set up by citizens, and how is that organized?
2: Well, we came to our um, city council and asked them to set up some kind of radiation monitoring system. Um, We want to have trust, but we want to verify that there should be a reason to trust the local utility company because they've kind of played a little fast and loose with the truth over the the last few years. And our city said, no, we can't do that, but we can spend um, $100,000 to put um, artwork in um, alleyways around the town, but we really can't help you with that. So I went and did a little search on Twitter and found um, Dr. Bill's product, the IRAD, which is a device you plug into your um, iPhone, basically. And that socializes that Geiger counter reading, um, allows you to come up with a graphic that you can put on your website and share with your friends what your radiation reading is.
0: So let's start talking about some of the features that, that people need to be looking for if they are considering buying a, a radiation monitor.
1: The uh, the range of uh product available in the, in the market uh today it can be a bit overwhelming when you are, you know, when you start looking at uh, radiation detectors radiation monitors. If you're looking for a monitor uh for your house, you're probably going to be looking at a Geiger counter. It's a simple uh gas um type of detector that looks for X-rays and gamma rays. For example, uh, around Japan, that's uh, when when you hear about the season 137, and it's byproducts you're looking at, uh, mostly gammas and X-rays. So uh, these uh, uh, X-ray detectors and gamma ray detectors, uh, they're widely available. So you have a choice to to acquire a detector that's, uh, that's able to look for radiation and give you a local result, and what we've done is uh, take one step forward uh, and uh, leverage the power of, um, of smartphones and tablets uh, to network these results and to um, map them so that uh, you can not only see what you are measuring, but also what uh, your neighbors and your friends all over the world uh, are measuring. And so that adds this uh, social content uh, to the data to uh, really structure this network as uh, an early warning system and as, and as Darren mentioned uh, a way to quickly verify um, radiation levels uh, not only around power plants but anywhere in the world.
0: If an individual has a monitor and wants to be able to participate in this larger program, how can it be enabled?
1: It's fairly easy to use if you know how to operate an app on uh, an iPhone or uh, with uh, actually, Android version is uh, available next week. It's as easy as setting up an app. And Darren and has been really good at polishing his data on, on his website. It's easy to do. You just, you, it's free. You set up an account on a cloud uh, server uh, that um, that we that we keep, and then we you hook that account uh, to your um, cell phone, and you can then um, automatically upload data. Uh, from
0: your mobile device
2: in short it's built into Bill's device the iRad.
0: okay uh, so yeah. you're talking it's about a specific kind of, of monitor at this point
2: right if you are looking to get the information um, like we're pushing it to com, that's how we're doing it through through his device like it's a dongle that attaches to your iPhone or your iPad
0: that's pretty amazing that somebody could have a smartphone and plug in a radiation monitor and um, suddenly be publishing it to the Internet so that everybody can see what local radiation levels are. I mean, that's what you're saying, right?
2: That's what. And what excited me about it is that it's social and pushes it out there, and it's about half the cost as other devices on the market. really was excited to find Bill and his company.
0: Terrific. Now, what you're measuring is background radiation. Is that correct? Correct. Most of the time, you're going to be measuring background radiation. (laughs) Now, is there anything, any way that these devices can monitor, say, the radiation content of food or water? Measurement of food and water
1: uh, require different devices. They have to be more sophisticated, laboratory-type devices to really assess if uh, your food or water is contaminated or not. Geiger counters are not appropriate for that. To look for um, contamination in food and water, you're going to be looking for equipment that can provide you with a spectrum of what uh, of that contamination. And um, A Geiger counter, no matter what brand it is, is not going to be able to, uh, to provide with that. Those are devices that uh range in price between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars. So you usually find them in, in a lab. So if you want to look at uh or assess the contamination of food or water, the best thing to do is to uh, collect a sample and then send to a uh, uh, qualified lab that can provide with uh, uh, good results.
0: There have been a lot of people who I've seen online, and certainly they post to the nuclear hot seat sites, who will take a radiation monitor and they'll put it up, say, against produce in a farmer's market or uh... the water that's been sprayed on produce in a store. What you're saying is that that's not giving an honest read of what might be inside the food.
1: No, it's not appropriate it's a way to to measure. Um, you know, potential uh, radiological
0: threat in in, in, uh, in food and water. Yeah, I know that you have begun classes, Bill, to help people understand how to hook up their radiation monitors. Tell us a little bit about what you've put together and why you've done this.
1: Uh, that's something we've been uh, talking about today, Ace and other uh, members of this community. And uh, uh, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of uh a lot of data out there about radiation and radiation effects, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of this data is gobbled. So what we decide to do is uh, at last uh, Saturday of each month, uh, we're going to hold a one-hour session here in our office in San Marcos, California, and thats it's open to the community to bring uh, in questions, concerns, and have access to experts in radiation and, um, you know, to be able to sit down and a you know, politically free environment and and discuss uh, what's going on and and if they want to join this uh, radiological uh, network, uh, they can do so right there and then. You're going to learn how to use this equipment. We have some reactive sources here in the office that we can bring in and show um, how these radiation monitors uh, would behave in case of um, uh, radiation being, you know, uh, in the environment. So, you know, at home, usually... Only see background and here you'll be able to see not only background but other levels of radiation and then we can assess if that's dangerous or not and why it's dangerous and in you know it's it's an open forum to share ideas and learn more about radiation
0: so two questions about that first of all when you say your office where is that located
1: uh, that's a uh, 253 Pawnee Street in uh, San Marcos California
0: and that's outside and that's- of San Diego correct That's
1: uh, right uh, half an hour north of San Diego.
0: Well, that's great for people who are within driving time to you, but this podcast gets listened to literally around the world. If people were interested in having access to this information, have you explored either live streaming or podcasting or cutting a product of some sort so that they could have the information no matter where they are?
1: Yeah, and that's something that uh, Darren is going to help us with, Mm -hmm. where these sessions are going to be recorded and then available on YouTube. Right, Darren?
2: That is absolutely correct. Google Hangouts, amazing new tool that we should get to learn how to use.
0: I'll put that on my list of the things you're promising to teach me about. Um, (laughs) But whatever the links are, if you would please let me know, I will post them on the Nuclear Hot Seat pages, and people will be able to find you. Because there are a lot of individuals who post their readings, but there's no coordinated way of really understanding what it means and getting that global picture. One last question for both of you, and that is Are you familiar with the work of um, Safecast and have you had any dealings with them? The network
1: that we are uh, setting up uh, hooks up directly to the Safecast database. So when you open our app, you actually see the Safecast database uh, on, the, on, our, um, on the smartphone app.
0: And for people who aren't familiar with Safecast, though, we've interviewed Sean Bonner in the past here it is It started out as just monitoring in Japan, and what it's become is really an international site for coordinating the readings around the world, so we start getting a coordinated, crowdsourced readout of what's happening with nuclear radiation and background radiation around the world. Awesome website. They really do great work. You guys are doing great work, too. So, Bill, if people want to, and I would encourage them to, follow up with you to gain more information, where would be the best place for them to go?
1: Uh, So they can visit our website at www.creativeelectron.com.
0: Creativeelectron.com.
1: Yeah. And uh, they can also follow us on Twitter at Bill underscore Cardozo or at Bill underscore Cardozo.
0: Well you're going to send me those links and I'm going to post them on the website so people can Be just bad. go to Nuclear Hot Seat and find it there.
2: Yeah, if people I'll do are that, trying yeah. to contact yeah. me, they can go directly to sanonofre.com, S-A-N-O-N-O-F-R-E dot
0: I'm amazed you got that URL. Darren, Bill, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Sure. Um, Thanks you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you on Nuclear Hot Seat. So the holistic healing tip today uh, comes from Arnie Gunderson, and it's actually an extension of something we've talked about here before. Uh, Arnie was talking about zeolite as something to take internally because it can absorb radiation from the body. But he pointed out something that I haven't heard from any of the naturopaths or holistic healers with whom I've consulted about this. He said that zeolite also strips out other things that your body needs. My assumption is a mineral salts, um, uh, possibly anything that, that is uh, a, a metal-based compound that's somewhere in the body. So I'm going to do some more research on this to make certain that there are appropriate supplements to take, that if zeolite is taking out radiation, you can replace whatever it is that is being taken out. But if you're on zeolite right now, uh, you might want to do a bit more research into it on your own. I will do more research, and I'll report back here on the podcast. Regarding the weekly activist opportunity, this Friday... June 22nd, activists will gather at the Japanese consulates in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and around the world to support the protests in Japan that have called on Prime Minister Noda not to open the OE nuclear plant there. The Japanese protests have been huge. As I stated before, there have been up to 11,000 people at a time protesting, and it has been covered by none of the Japanese media, nor any of the international mainstream media. I mean, did you see it on your local news report? Probably not. In California this Friday, the simultaneous actions in Los Angeles and San Francisco will start at 3 p.m. with a die-in, a theatrical die-in, taking place at 4.30 p.m. All of this in support of the Japanese activists as part of the worldwide effort. The theme is Shut Down, Not Meltdown." Keep Japan Nuclear Free, Keep All Nuclear Plants Shut Down in Japan. I plan to be there in Los Angeles, and I hope that you will, too, wherever the nearest Japanese embassy is to you. And if you can't get to an embassy, I will also be posting a phone number for the Japanese embassy in San Francisco where you can call in and tell them that you do not want the nuclear reactors to be restarted and you wish to support the Japanese people. Please do this. There's a lot of noise online, but we don't necessarily take it into the analog world. We need to make that step and have our voices heard. As a final thought today, today's podcast marks the start of the second year of Nuclear Hot Seat, and it's been quite a journey from personal ignorance to my current state of knowing more than I wish I did. I'm just back from a two-week vacation in the Midwest with family, which is why the last two podcasts have been prerecords. I really needed this vacation. It gave me the chance to step away from the front lines of the nuclear battle and sink into a world where nuclear means family and no one walks around with a radiation monitor. It's been hard to step back into this plane of discussion because while away, I came to the awareness that what we're really up against is massive mental illness. There is no sanity in nuclear energy or those who promote it. There is greed. There is maliciousness and meanness and disassociation from the consequences of actions. There is no empathy for humanity, no sense of being part of a genetic continuity or a spiritual continuum. These are all marks of a psychopath. This is a malevolent technology being promoted by people with frozen souls, terrified not to be able to cushion themselves from the world with the obscene amounts of money they glean from the process. Watching as the Prime Minister of Japan ignored 70% of his country, and caved into banks, energy companies, and multinational corporations to agree to restarting the reactors at Oi. shows that countries are now owned by nuclear corporations. There is no democracy. There is only global nuclear dictatorship. Of, by, and for the people, the cornerstone of democratic thought has been bought, lock, stock, and barrel by special interests. We, the people, don't have the power. All we have at this moment are our hearts, our thoughts, our feelings, our language, our will to speak out, and each other. So I guess the only thing left to do is fight them. As the immortal Janice Joplin said, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. We may not win, but they'll know they've been in a fight. And maybe, just maybe, as a result the two beautiful grandnieces I just met for the first time, will be able to survive this mess and thrive long enough to have grandnieces of their own. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, June 19, 2012. You can find us posted on nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog, on Facebook and on iTunes podcast where you can subscribe. Feel free to share the links to this podcast and forward the download any place you would like on the face of the planet or any place else. And if you have thoughts on how to improve Nuclear Hot Seat, I'm open. Send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. This is Libby Halevy of Heart of Street Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, whatever you do, do not go back to sleep. Be safe. Be well, and I'll speak with you again next week.